Welcome to the Writer's Game Podcast. I am Alex. I am Preston. Today we will be discussing types of stories used in games, uh, the way they were told, and whether or not that worked or not uh, for various types of games. Now at the end of the last podcast, I mentioned Doom, the newest Doom from 2016, as a way that a first-person shooter story was told in a really good way. You mentioned uh, Lexicon, right? Yeah, so the original Doom didn't have a lot of story. It wasn't... You didn't boot the game into a cutscene and then play for a while and then get a cutscene and then play for a while and then get a finale. You, You booted the game and you fought demons at the end of the episode as it was called at the time, you got a, like, two-paragraph story told of what just happened, not your entire journey. Hmm. Though I have to ask, wasn't that uh, something that has happened a lot in that, t- that time period? So it wasn't just anything new for the time. Well, I mean, and then if we go all the way back, there are uh, there were RPG games coming out at the time that Fair did enough. have paragraphs of story every couple of feet. And that worked well for those types of games in that specific time period. So what what Doom 2016 does that's really cool and really good is that, first off, there are cutscenes, but they happen very infrequently. When they do happen, you have complete control of your character. That doesn't sound right. Well, it doesn't sound right, but Doom Guy in canon is supposed to be like, I don't care. So when you have the bored player that's annoyed of hearing the science guy talk his science, and Doom Guy's walking in the door, like, come on, just open the door, open the door. Congratulations, you've just immersed yourself in the character. You you are the slayer of hell and you want to go kill the demons. So uh, what, what really helps with this style of story is that Doom 2016, for the people who are interested in what the science nerd is saying, there's a lexicon. And it updates as you fight new demons and find, like, things scattered around the environment. So it's like a collectible. You can completely ignore them. For the people that don't ignore them, though, you get to look up really cool information. Like, why was the Doom guy sealed away in hell? Um, Where did his power armor come from? And you mentioned a a Final Fantasy game last time. uh, Which one? I can't remember. Uh, that you said did the same thing in addition to the cutscenes and that threw you out. I can understand what you're saying about the lexicon. Okay, first I need to watch this three-hour cutscene. Now I need to go read about 200 pages worth of text to understand what just happened. Uh, can you elaborate on that a little bit more, please? Yeah, yeah. The uh, It's Final Fantasy thirteen. I don't know if thirteen two and thirteen three did this because I, I couldn't get past thirteen. But uh, Final Fantasy XIII's biggest problem is that they have hour-long cutscenes in some places, like like thirty, like twenty to thirty-minute cutscenes, and the cutscene is just like, I can't believe I'm gonna see, 
I can't believe that I have to go and defeat de defeat Bahamut, the king of the dragons, in order to unlock the seraphic guard. And then everybody in the party's just like, I know exactly what that means. And you as the player are like, what, what the fuck does that mean? What were any of those words? And then the game goes, please go read two pages of information in order to understand who Bahamut is and why he's important and what an EC is. Doom, I think three pages of information is the maximum. And you get it one page at a time. Huh. Final Fantasy fifth. Final Fantasy 13, not 15. 15 did not use a lexicon. <laughs> no, it did not. Well, it technically did, but it, not in that same way. Yeah, you, you kind of get what's going on through the game. And that's the problem with Final Fantasy. That's the difference between Doom and Final Fantasy 13. Doom, you don't need the lexicon at all. You, you, you play through the game and you go, Doom guy was in hell. He was in hell because the demons were afraid of him. Humans are siphoning hell's energy. That's a bad thing. Final Fantasy thirteen is like, you are an EC. Please read the lexicon to know what that means. You have this monster. Please read the lexicon in order to understand why you can summon this monster. You are in the Cocoon City. Please read the lexicon to understand what the Cocoon City is. Like, all of the pertinent information about the world and the setting, you have to go read about. It's, it's like they forgot what cutscenes are for. They're, they're to relay information to the player. And more information needs relayed than, this is what we are doing. We are going to go do it. Please read a book in order to understand what that means. I love reading, but even I say, no, I'm getting into the game because I don't want to have to read everything to understand what's going on. Because I want to be told a story rather than have to sit there and read with the lights of the screen making my eyes hurt. Final Fantasy Thirteen could have been a novel. That is what I'm getting at. It's a choose-your-own-adventure novel, and I can't... It's not even a choose-your-own... Actually... The gameplay in Final Fantasy XIII is just tapping X. They could have made Final Fantasy XIII a movie, and every half an hour you had to pick up the remote and mash select on your DVD remote to confirm you are still watching. I'm not kidding. I, I beat most of the game, like half of the game, and they introduce things like you can switch your party members to be a healer or an attacker, and the game pretty much sh suggests what you should be. Like, it's like, hey, you're dying. You should become a healer. And then you just go, you press, like, L1 and then hammer X. And the game chooses revive, cure, cure, cure. You don't even pick what you do. The game already knows. So basically, we're watching the movie Final Fantasy Thirteen. Get a turbo controller and press X. Moving on, so I don't lose all faith in the Final Fantasy franchise despite you've already, enjoying you've already Final played, Fantasy 15. You've already played 15. The Dark Era is over. I know, but it's still... I'm worried now that it might come back. <laughs> Moving on to another type of story. Um, uh, why don't we look at the uh, a more traditional 
story. Last time I brought up Sly Cooper, so I'll go ahead and use that as an example. In that game, you have conversations that pop up. In the first one, you get to certain points, they're trying to introduce a new mechanic. Here's how you advance through the level, because you do not know this. Unless you're replaying the game. And they'll stop you, and they'll make you pull up your binocular column to see what's going on ahead. But a lot of the stuff in number one, at least, you'll just hear a dialogue option pop up and you won't continue once you get the basics of, here's the goal, and do this over here. You'll get a cutscene at the boss. You'll get a, a very well-drawn cutscene sequence uh, before and after every single level throughout the entire series. Beyond that, it's mostly just interaction, conversation. And most of it is done where you're in control of the character. Or you'll be frozen in place, but it's it's short. Uh, other games that didn't do that quite as well would be... Uh... Why don't we compare it to uh, Monster Madness Grave Danger? I've never played that. I have, and they're... I, I love the game. Uh, the mechanics are great, but they'll have these random conversations that actually just stop you in place. Yeah, okay, why? Well, th there are there are a lot of games that also do the uh, holding your character still that work really well. Uh, yeah. The Last of Us is a, I mean, critically acclaimed game. I don't, I, I, have, I have mixed feelings about it. As, as an author, as somebody who has read stories that were almost exactly like The Last of Us before and playing The Last of Us, I was like, oh, it's like that one story, but that is, that is a problem that some games have. They, you, if you want to write a good story, you have to know the difference between telling your audience too much and not telling them enough. And some games do that. Some games get that. Some games don't. Sadly. And that, actually, that, that circles us right back around to Doom and Final Fantasy thirteen really well. Doom does not tell you too much. It tells you just enough. Final Fantasy thirteen tells you entirely too much, and it tells it to you in the wrong places. However, at the same time, you also have to see that Final Fantasy thirteen doesn't tell you anything. Because here's the story. Okay. Read up on this so you actually know what the story meant. Exactly, that's what I mean. It's in the wrong place. Yeah. While on Doom, it's... Okay, here's a story. Wait, wait hold on, there was a story? Yeah, there's a lexicon. Oh! Wow, this is fascinating. I already beat the game three times, but this is fascinating. Oh, that's why I was shooting that guy in the face. And You don't care during the actual game, though. That's kind of the point. When, when the guy in Doom says, we're siphoning energy from hell with this device, you don't go, well, how does that device work? Why are you explaining the device to me in depth? In Final Fantasy XIII, they go, we live in this city away from nature. Why? What what's wrong with nature? <laughs> yeah. If you, I wish you guys could see the incredulous look on my face right now. It's just 
It's boggling the mind. We cover games that do. Ooh, uh. We cover games that do mild cutscenes. We've done games that do a heavy lexicon. We've done a bad example of a game that does heavy cutscene. We haven't done a good example of that. Uh, I would argue that uh, uh, The Last of Us. It's very cutscene heavy. Okay. But they're good cutscenes. They're they they do a lot to establish character. Because I haven't played it, I can't comment on that. I was thinking of Metal Gear Solid Five. <sighs> That's a pretty good one too. The entire Metal Gear franchise really has a lot of really interesting cutscenes. At least up until five. Because after that one there it's eh, maybe. Cause the director of the game got cut. Well, and the problem the biggest problem that Metal Gear has, as as much as I love Metal Gear, is that it's a, it's it's got an issue of being too opaque. A lot of these are like really high concepts, and you're like, "What? What does that even mean?" Yeah. And then the game normally does a pretty good job of like giving you a, a base idea, but like in uh, Metal Gear Solid Two, uh, the theme of the game is memes. Mm. And not internet memes. Memes is in, mm. uh, which I believe the internet, the dictionary definition of that is, uh, like cultural or genetically uh, spread traditions. Which is why an internet meme is called a meme. It's something that the internet does, and then you're like, ah, oh, it's an internet thing. Now I I should say that for Doom being an FPS, I'm not saying that. A good FPS story is like low on is like low on content and, and high on the shoot bangs. Uh, Halo had a lot of cutscenes for its time, and as much as I'm not a fan of it now, when it was coming out, I thought it was pretty good. You can do good cutscenes in a first-person shooter and not have the player feel like, oh my god. I just want to shoot the thing. But you had to set up, right? Yeah, you have to you have to have like a really interesting story, and it has to be moderately well told, and the cutscenes have to be in a place that makes sense, like at the end of a level, or right before a level. Yeah, like I like they do it in um, the Sly Cooper games, because there's many cutscenes. There's a a beginning, an end, and a middle, but the middle one is very it's after you've done the main mission a mission and you're trying to figure out what you're doing next then the cutscene occurs that makes sense and it and it the important thing is that it doesn't take you out of the action no it doesn't it's setting it up for more action yeah and that's that's something that I don't like in a lot of modern shooters like uh what's it called years of war Gears of War has a lot of situations where the game slows down and your character puts his finger into his ear and listens to a conversation and talks with somebody and it's like it can happen in the middle of an area. Like, you clear out a room and then it's like, oh, we got intel about some things that are going on, blah, 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 blah. And then you go into the next room. And an FPS. Yeah. Third person shooter. No, uh, TPS, whatever. I don't care. No, I don't know. TPS reports. Third person shooter. That's all I can think of. Yeah, yeah. In a, in a 
Yeah, in a shooter. Specifically in a shooter. That doesn't make sense. That happens a lot now. And that's that's why I don't play a lot of shooter games anymore. There is a lot of... The action has stopped for me to be told story. And I'm like, do this at the end of the level. Okay, I've actually played a lot of games where they do that type of thing. Where they just... Uh, they slow the game down to tell you a little bit of story. It's not an action-based game, though. Yeah, it's it's when it's when a fast-paced game slows down. <sighs> That's destroying the game. That it it's completely it's the complete antithesis to the game itself. That's why Sonic has gotten terrible. Yeah. I want to go from left to right really fast. Perhaps I wish to go fast in a 3D environment. Stopping me every 15 feet to have somebody talk to me does not make me go fast. Making, allowing me to stop upside down on a ridge and just sit there is not going fast. Exactly. And then if you look at something like Uncharted 4, here's a puzzle. Solve it. Here's action sequence. Survive. The way the game is told, it makes perfect sense how everything progresses from one thing to another, to another, to another. The game keeps you moving at the pace it requires you to. Sure, you can get struggle, you can stick on a few puzzles. I remember one of them, we were in Scotland trying to uh, solve a, a light door. And I was stuck on it because I was obsessed with having one of these points on a specific spot on the door. And uh, it was supposed to go there. So once I figured that out, and broke that myself for that little connection, I solved it in like 30 seconds. But the still, the puzzle, it looks challenging, and it was, yeah, how do I, if I move this here, if I do this, if I try that, I was fascinated the entire time I was looking at this thing. And there's little bits of data he writes down in his journal, the entire game. And if you played any sort of charting games, I'm pretty sure you just the rest of them. And it was just a case of, I would spend hours just looking over these notes, trying to draw more connections and try to plan out, okay, what else could they do with this? Now, what do these mean? Now, Uncharted, I've, I've only played the first one. Uncharted did not grab my attention. I felt that it was too formulaic for my liking. It was the, the progress of cutscene, action, cutscene, action, puzzle, cutscene, action, action, cutscene. <sighs> I, I just, I felt like at that point, it, it felt like a movie, like a summer movie. And I was like, I would rather go watch an Indiana Jones movie than almost Indiana Jones. But at the same time, I can see the quality of writing, and that is the exact type of game they were going for. And yeah, while I was playing it, I was like, this is the best Indiana Jones game that doesn't star Indiana Jones ever. And based on the Indiana Jones games I've seen, it's the best one still. Yeah. But that aside... You may achieve that through a combination of story and gameplay. Yeah. And that's kind of the point. Which is amazing. The, the two should work hand in hand. You shouldn't lean on one or the other. And yet so many games rely on gameplay or story. Some of the newer ones are getting the idea that Maybe we should work with these both at the same time? Some, oh. some people are just starting to get it. 
Yeah, and now, actually there's something I remember I was going to talk about. Uh, we could also talk about something like... Fallout. Elder Scrolls. The uh, games that... They're massive open world. Similar to Final Fantasy XV, for instance. The only one that I can recall enough to comment on. It's the only one that has that sprawling open world. Most of them... Most of them have an open world, but the only thing you're doing is going from point A to point B. Uh-huh. Okay, then. Moving on. Um, you have these sprawling open worlds that you have not only the main quest, but all these thousands of side quests. And yes, games have side quests nowadays. I get that. Most of them have an open and closed story. Most of them I don't care about. Elder Scrolls, Fallout. I care more about the side quests than I do the main story of the game. And arguably, that's a problem. Not arguably. It is a problem. <laughs> I can, if I can enjoy the side quests as much as I do the main game, good on you guys. Because I can be able to enjoy it just as well. I'm able to get just as immersed and do just as and have just as time. I have almost a thousand hours in Skyrim alone, across the regular and special editions, across PS3 and my PC. I still go back and play the game, because I have mods that add new quests. I have all these side missions that I still have not found. I have new characters to play. That, in a role-playing game where you have, well, not total control, because Oblivion is better in that regard, but you still have good control with decent story. I have actually I can count the number of times I've completed the main game on a character on one hand. However, I cannot count how many characters I have made. Fallout is the same way. I have made numerous characters. Oh, there's a main story. Oh look a shiny. I ignore the main story because it's boring. But all these side quests, they give the world, they give the characters life. This is where they've this is where Bethesda, specifically, has employed not genius level writing, but they've employed decent writing for each individual side quest. But we need to tie it all together into a game. Let's just slap some generic story about revenge onto it. And then you look at something else that has a similar world. GTA 5. I cannot comment on the others. I've only played GTA. But, uh, 5, I mean. Uh, but GTA 5 has an immersive story. Unrealistic, yes. But immersive. I care. The side quests, sometimes yes, sometimes no. But the main game drew me in. And... Heck, how many people still play GTA Online? Tons. Of course, they aren't playing that for the story. <laughs> GTA Online doesn't have a story. But you get what I'm talking about. They're immersed in the world. Um, you, can, you can be wacky and outlandish and immersive. The two are not mutually exclusive. Look at Saints Row. At the beginning, they were more serious. Once they got to uh, Saints Row 4, 
at the very least, I'm pretty sure it was in Saints Row 3 as well. I, screw it, it is in Saints Row 3. Is it Saints Row 3 the one with the giant dildo? Yes. <laughs> yeah, we got there in 3. But yeah. 4 took it to 11. And then Gat Out of Hell took it to 20. The games are ridiculous. There is just... It's hilarious how ridiculous the games have become. But at the same time, it's immersive. You're enjoying the game the entire time. You're not thinking... You're Sure, you're thinking, that's ridiculous. That's not going to stop you from punching a demon in the face. It's not going to stop you from trying to figure out this... Figure out where all these things are hidden so you can unlock something new. It's still immersive. You don't... You don't suddenly realize I'm holding a controller. In Bethesda games, you do. Yeah. That, At least the new ones. I think New Vegas handled it the best, and that was completely done by somebody else, and that's funny. And if I remember correctly, they're taking on the next Fallout game. Oh! <laughs> if I if I'm hearing the, if I understand the rumors correctly, they are taking on Fallout New Orleans. If that's the case, I'm buying it. 